Hello, and welcome to Farscape Friday, episode 91. I'm Kay, here with my co-host, Taz. Hello. Today we'll be discussing the first half of part two of the Peacekeeper Wars. Let's get started. Welcome back. Here's a quick summary of what we'll be discussing today. The crew is rescued by Jothi's team of Luxon warriors and makes their way to the water planet. Greza takes over the carrier she's on and heads there as well, while Stalik now wants to annihilate all Eidolons. As all the parties come together at the water planet, Aaron begins to give birth, and John makes a terrible decision regarding wormholes. Here we are at the back half of the Peacekeeper Wars. So where we left our heroes was locked up in the Scarin Decimator. Yondalau is dead. That's the Eidolon who is trying to make peace with Stalik. Stark is traumatized because Aaron and John force him to cross him over and take his knowledge. So now Stark can carry that knowledge to their surviving Eidolons on uh, the water planet. And Rigel is about to pop with the baby because he was not built to hold a human sebation baby. <laughs> and the whole room is being flooded with embalming gas. And we have Sokozu and Scorpius in there with them as well. So how are they ever going to get out of this one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this piece that we're discussing is kind of interesting because I watched this and then the next piece together. And this really does just kind of set up all the moving parts so that we have like this really fantastic last act. You know, their act three in this mini series is amazing in terms mm -hmm. of what it does. So to get back to how they do get out, Sokozu actually lights the gas in the room on fire using her magic powers and, <laughs> and her magic bioloid powers yeah, that her... she used to destroy the, the mother plant in the in Worso Screw trilogy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, she didn't use it. She used it to kill the Scarens. They used the killed bomb the Scarens. That's right. That's right. Sorry. Yes. But, but so, anyway, massive destruction. So she uses that and the Luxons see it and they take that as their cue to go in and rescue John and the rest. And mm -hmm. so they're going in while John and everybody else are trying to get out and they end up meeting up and they get out fine. We find out that Aaron, um, Aaron actually has this really great moment with Jothi where after they've been rescued and they're on the ship and they're leaving and they're, um, calling for peacekeeper reinforcements. <laughs> Aaron goes, good work, Cleaver, to to Jothi. And I thought that was really, I was like, ah, how sweet. She's giving him respect as a warrior. <laughs> yeah. And in the midst of their escape at some point, while they have people firing down the halls at the Scarens who are trying to box them back in before, just before the Luxons get to them, John is the one who does the transfer doohickey between Rigel and Aaron. So Aaron is now pregnant again with their child, mm -hmm. finally. Yeah. And Rigel is alive, which is good because we <laughs> like him. <laughs> now they're off the ship. Aaron is pregnant again. And Jothi ha and his crew have disabled the Scarin. It's not a dreadnought. What is it? Decimator? It's a decimator. It's this. It's like the new kind of ship that's like the fresh off the line kind of deal. That's the one that still leaks ship. Yeah. So they've dealt, they've um, disabled the decimator, but Stalik is like really mad still. <laughs> so of course he's mad. <laughs> they just escaped. Yeah, they just escaped. So they're heading towards the water planet because he's like, "F all these people! I'm gonna destroy everything." <laughs> we also get a flash of a report going to Greza, who is now in charge and has this. She gets told that Chancellor Mar Merrick, who Grand Chancellor Merrick, is dead. 
and she has this like such a bland expression on her face of like oh that's so sad let's go kill some scarens <laughs> and it's like, like you could have pretended to be upset about that Grazo. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite bit though is that she goes like she's like oh that's so sad and then she's like okay let's go kill scarens and the guy's like but the chancellor is coming or the vice chancellor yeah, yeah the vice chancellor is coming and she's like excuse me explain to me who in this entire battle group outranks me and he's like no one and she's like well then i'm in charge sorry he's gonna have to travel the extra distance <laughs> yes and so the, what she's responding to they're going to the water planet where uh Braca's command carrier had arrived and he is under attack with the Eidolons. So the peacekeepers have gone down to the planet. It's unclear what the relationship with the Eidolons is. I think, I mean, they're protecting them. So it's unclear to me, at least, like, you know, the peacekeepers went there to get John Crichton. But what is, why do they care about the Eidolons and their survival? But they're still protecting them. I think because Scorpius left them behind to protect the Eidolons. Like, okay. If... I think the kind of the implication was that Scorpius wouldn't have been able to go with John if he wasn't giving them something in return. And also, mm -hmm. like, I think the Moya crew would have put up more of a fight, you know? Mm -hmm. Okay. That, that's a good explanation as any. It was just one of those kind of, like, little odd things. So the Scarons are attacking the peacekeepers on the water planet. And that's where our crew is going. Yeah. And they are now back on Moya. Um, after the, the daring rescue by the Luxons, Jothi has stayed on Moya with them because mm -hmm. he's, as he says to Dargo in a kind of a tense conversation that they have on command, you know, you need me for the command codes to pass through Peacekeeper space. Mm -hmm. As remember, in the, the very first part, they got boarded by peacekeepers, um, peacekeepers and mercenaries because they didn't have the right Peacekeeper command codes. Mm -hmm. I want to briefly address, address Jothi here because we kind of get some Jothi stuff throughout the miniseries, but a lot of it's very action-y. And this is one of the few times that we get like Jothi and Dargo together. Number mm -hmm. one, I don't know what they did. I didn't even look up how he looked back in season three but i couldn't figure it out but i was like he looks different like a lot different he has a beard now he has facial hair yeah but like it's something else i mean i'm looking at him i was like god this does not look like the same <laughs> but anyway I'm no he looks different and the, i think it's mostly the facial hair that really does it and they could have changed his um his others i don't know his other bits of appearance he has more his tonkas are still really short because he cut them off but there's a little bit more pronouncement there. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But there's his features are he is quite different from how he looks at the end of season two, season beginning of season three. Yeah. And I'm not sure. Do you know if it's the same actor? I didn't look that up. I didn't look it up. But speaking of actors, I actually did have to look this up. It still is Lonnie Tupu playing Pilot, except I think they changed how they alter his voice. And that really? kept throwing me off this whole time. Yeah, because we, we listened with like really good quality speakers. And so it was like really, really throwing me off because I was like, he sounds like really different. Yeah. Um, his his voice sounds like deeper. Yeah, I hadn't noticed that. But yeah, but it is still it is still Lani Tupu. But the yeah. other thing I want to talk about with Jothi is this is kind of the moment where Dargo, you know, after punching him in our last <laughs> episode, but about 10 minutes ago in the show, Dargo finally does get to have the conversation with Jothi where he really explains why what Jothi did hurt him so badly. Mm. And Dargo's explanation is, this is the first woman since your mother. Chiana was the first woman since your mother that I actually cared about. Which in mm -hmm. Dargo's defense, I'm like, yeah, that's pretty harsh. And on the other hand, I'm like, Chiana is also the first woman you've met since you haven't been in prison. <laughs> so like... 
Well, there was Zad too, but they didn't get together. But there, there was some early season one chemistry. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but no, that's a really good point. And you know, Jothi makes the remark like, "I'm, I'm glad you're back together because." We have we have seen at the end of Warso Screw trilogy, mm-hmm. Dargo and Shiana have gotten back together. One of the things Dargo says is like, yeah, it's taken a lot of time to rebuild that trust day by mm-hmm. day because they have been living together. They've been part of the crew. They've had to re- maintain some sort of relationship even while they were broken up. And that actually helped reform their romantic relationship, too. Mm-hmm. And kind of the subtext there is like. You know, he hasn't had that kind of constant contact with Jothi, and so that's part of why it's so much harder for him at the moment to just accept him back, even though time has passed, you know? Mm-hmm. So, but I think we see through the course of this, uh, of the last half of the Peacekeeper Wars, is we do see that trust being built back in the relationship growing again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it really is touching because you can tell that you know, Dargo really does want to have that relationship, but it's kind of like he's been able to see Chiana every day. So he's been able to see her being sorry, see her being herself, you know, see her, I don't know, being Chiana and he hasn't with Jothi. So, and in this, he gets to really see how much Jothi has changed from that angry young man we met at the bank, you know, we met at the end of season two. And here he is uh, basically a, a Cleva lieutenant, uh, in command of a unit and you know he has respect he's fighting he's he's doing the things that i think dargo as a military person and as a luxon warrior you know he respects people who do those things and i think that has helped a lot even though they're still struggling with their relationship yeah yeah so while they're on the ship john watches aaron sleeping he watches stark kind of going crazy and in that moment i think he realizes that this idea of stark being able to pass on the knowledge is (laughs) not sane stark is really not holding it together very well at all yeah he keeps saying i'm not worthy i'm not worthy yeah so john gets his module and he jumps in and then he goes outside the ship and he doesn't tell anybody and so we see Dargo and Aaron calling after him, and then a wormhole opens up, and he decides to go down the wormhole mm-hmm. because he's going to talk to Einstein. And here's their conversation. Einstein! It's time! Indeed. Unlock the knowledge. I have to make peace. Time flies. Time. Bandits. Time. Wounds all heal. Time. Rosemary and Time. Time ends. So it's not much, but it's this callback to the episode in season four, Unrealized Reality, where you know, that's John's introduction to Einstein, our, our ancient being who, you know, has this other realm that abuts ours, is like, you know, what does time mean? And here the answer is time ends. And I don't know, it's really intriguing to me because it's like, why is Einstein agreeing to unlock the wormhole weapon for John? I mean, does he recognize that the situation is so bad between the Scarens and the Peacekeepers that, that, that they have to go to drastic measures in order to stop it? And I find that really interesting because, you know, way back in Unrealized Reality, we had him being so adamant that that knowledge, any kind of wormhole knowledge, could not leave and John had to die. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a question I struggled with too, was why does saying time ends 
convince him. And I kind of came to this idea. I came to this theory that yes, John has offered to protect wormhole knowledge, but he's up against these two major forces. And I think when he says time ends, Einstein hears in that either I die and the wormhole knowledge dies with me or everybody else dies. And Mm -hmm. we cut the, you know, essentially we cut off the wormhole knowledge at the stem right there, you know, because the entire galaxy will be eaten. And I think that that's what we see with the, um, I mean, not to spoil, but like, (laughs) you know, the wormhole weapon is going to be terrible, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of, I think when John says time ends, he means like, okay, we've come to a place where something big needs to happen. Either I die or everybody dies. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of how I was taking it too, because it's there is nothing else that he can do. You know, the the Eidolons are such a long shot right now, especially with Stark being like, don't touch me. And he's flinching away from everybody. And he's partly catatonic now. And mm-hmm. it's, and he's not handling it well. And so it's like, what are they going to do? And their first attempt with the Eidolons failed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and failed really badly. Because to be honest, to me, that kind of showed the problem with the Eidolons in general, which is that technically, yeah, they're not mind wiping or mind changing or, you know, telepathically affecting anybody. But to everybody around that person, it must seem like they are. Yeah, you know, yeah, for sure. And so how can you rely on a truce that everybody else is going to be like, why did you agree to this? Right. Right. And is that something that really happened? And, you know, how do you enforce something like that? Especially since the Eidolons don't have a peacekeeping force Mm -hmm. anymore. The peacekeepers are one of the main combatants. Mm -hmm. So John returns to Boya and we have basically a a lot of reactions going on in this transit period before they get to the water planet. So first he runs into Scorpius who like essentially ambushes him immediately as he gets off of his pod. And it's so funny because he's like... Because Scorpius is like, you got it, didn't you? You got it. You got it. You have to make it now. You have to make it. <laughs> and John is like bleeding and he's like not doing really well. He's like like falling as he's walking. Yeah. And- he's got so much so much stuff crammed in his head right now that he's he's try- diff- having difficulty coping with it. And the camera is shaking and he's not all in his – he's not stable at the moment. Mm-hmm. And it, it just strikes me as really interesting because for Scorpius also, like this is his closest moment to what he wants – Do you know what I mean? Mm Because he is now at the point where he's like peace through destruction, you know, destruction of both peacekeepers and Scarens. Yeah. You know, and and then we get a moment with um, Harvey, Mm -hmm. who is also kind of a representation of the of Scorpius, obviously, in John's head. And it's like they're construction workers in business suits with hard hats. And there's a big wall, a big billboard that says coming soon wormholes to a universe near you. And Harvey's like, let's get building. And John's mm-hmm. like, no, we're, we're not building. It's my time, my timeline for this. This is the backup plan, mm-hmm. not the, the primary plan. But you kind of have these, these two forces meeting John right off the bat being like, let's go for it. Mm-hmm. And, and he's pushing against that. Yeah. And then you have the third reaction that we get is with Aaron, who he meets in their quarters. And I'm actually going to play that one so we can, we can talk about that. John! You went there, didn't you? I, uh, I went the whole way there. I didn't want you to do that. Yes, you did. Everybody wants to see the great big wormhole weapon. No, I want to see war turned into peace. War and peace, war and peace. Did you know that Woody Allen's version is better than Tolstoy's? Because it is 
funny you're an absolute power corrupts absolutely. Where the hell's my pen? Where's my pen? This is what you want. This is what you want. No, Aaron, it is not what I want. It's just that fate keeps blocking all the exits. And no matter what I do, I just keep circling closer to the flame. Then pull back. This war is not your responsibility. You and the baby are my responsibility. And how am I supposed to protect you from the peacekeepers and the scarens and the Tragans and the lions and tigers and bears? With this, Winona, this gun, no gun is big enough. We still have Stark and the Eidolons. It's not enough. This, this is enough. Wormholes, what's inside my hand? This is ugly, and it is malignant. But it will protect you oh, and the baby. You see, you don't just protect me. We protect each other. I can really feel it alive inside me. So, in contrast to Scorpius and Harvey pushing, saying, Yay, we've got wormhole weapons, and John pushing back against them, we have Aaron being like, You did what now? And mm -hmm. John having to justify, you know, having gone to get the basically what the knowledge that he had that Einstein gave him to to make a weapon and i find it just so interesting that these this juxtaposition and we have john pushing back against both sides for why they're not necessary yet and why they are necessary to have as a backup plan for the eidolons and he's just kind of stuck in the middle mhm mm yeah i really like that point that like on the one hand he doesn't want to use them and it's not like he's saying, I don't want to use them because Scorpius does want to use them. But that kind of is part of it is that he's like, Scorpius wants to just use them like they're nothing, you know, like mm -hmm. it's just a new gun. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And Aaron is kind of like, Aaron is seeing it as actually John taking away their dynamic because that's kind of what wormholes have always done. Wormholes have always been the like third party in their relationship, <laughs> you know, yeah. where like at first, you know, it was like the potential of wormholes taking him away from her. And then it was, you know, wormholes actually killing the John that she was in love with, you know, mm -hmm. and then now it's like she's like, OK, so this thing that we'd kind of made peace with, like I went down the wormhole with you. We went to Earth. You got what you wanted. And now you're bringing it back. You know, and I feel like yeah. that's kind of this dynamic, especially when she says to him, like, you forget that I protect you and she can't protect him from wormholes. She's seen what they do to him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's also the attention thing, because like in season three, especially late with Moya John, you know, wormholes were what he substituted Aaron for. That was his mm -hmm. obsession. And that's kind of what she's competing or was competing with for a while there. And even in season four, you know, when they were estranged, you know, he kept himself occupied with wormholes. So mm -hmm. there's this, you're right. It's like this third party in their relationship and here they are again. And now they're, they're that much worse because that has the potential to destroy not just them and their relationship and their family but you know the entire galaxy mm -hmm. and yeah so it's this interesting dynamic but i also i you know with this conversation you know where, where john says like all the exits are being blocked off 
and there's there's nothing you know i feel like i have all everything we try is being blocked and we we have no choice this is this is what's happening and it's right to us an extent i mean that's that's what the plot of peacekeeper wars is is designed to do is to block off all the other options mm-hmm but at the same time, if you look back at the beginning of Peacekeeper Wars, the beginning of Peacekeeper Wars is we run away and we let the yeah. universe, you know, we let this galaxy eat itself. We run to the next one, you know? So I think that yeah. on the one hand, yes, it's blocking off the exits, but I also feel like John himself has changed over the course of this of this miniseries where he went from, we're going to take the baby and we're going to run. And that's going to be peaceful because we are not going to be the ones doing the killing to this mm-hmm. feeling that he's having now where he's like, well, I do have the power. I potentially do have the power to end this. And so I'm just going to do that kind of without really reacting to how what Aaron would want, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And here she's the one, you know, saying pull back from the flame, which is run away with her. Mm-hmm. And then they have that little bit at the end where they feel the baby kick. And I feel like, you know, Aaron has not been pregnant for this up until basically this point. I mean, you know, a few minutes before this, but this is really their their first point where they've actually like, you know, this baby is coming, you mm-hmm. know, they're feeling it. It's alive inside of Aaron. And I feel like that is really putting a twist on the urgency mm-hmm. of it too, because now, you know, it's no longer this abstract Aaron is pregnant. She's it's in stasis or it's in Rigel. No, it's here with them right now. Mm-hmm. I want to point out, um, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to say anything more about this, except in next episode, I have another point I want to make about pregnancy <laughs> and peacekeepers. But I'm like, there is a biological reason that pregnancy in humans takes forever. <laughs> and it's not just because the baby needs that long to develop, which it does. Like your baby needs that long to fully develop. But also it's because pregnancy is like super hard on a woman's body. It like messes with your organs. It's like it pushes everything around. And I'm kind of like, this would be like a very, very major, major trauma (laughs) for all peacekeeper women if they just had this short pregnancy. Because she goes from literally not being pregnant at all, like visibly not, to all of a sudden Mm -hmm. she has like a, I don't know, like a six or seven month baby bump. And I'm like, that would be very traumatic on your body. Yeah. Well, I think this episode is written by men and also Farscape Magic and Science Fiction. So okay. <laughs> we're going to have to hand wave that. You make an excellent point. And there's there's another birth point that I was going to make too, but we'll save that for the next episode. <laughs> anyway, I watch a lot of Call of the Midwife. I'm not pregnant, <gasps> but... I love Call of the Midwife. <laughs> I've been like obsessively watching it since I like got pregnant. It's I'm so like... good. <gasps> I've been doing a rewatch and my every time my husband comes home and I'm watching it, he's like, why are you watching that? And I'm like, because it's reassuring to me that women used to give birth before like hospitals and before like C-sections and everything. Yeah, I know, right? So anyway, we'll get to that part when we get to that part. Speaking of birth things, I want to play a really quick little next one because it's like the one funny quote we have for the week and next week. So this is Rigel. And how he's feeling. <laughs> Here, Starkey. I don't remember him being like this. Nobody does. Toad, what's with the borderworks? 
So, yeah, Rigel's going through postpartum feels, and it's really cute. I just love how much Rigel loves the baby, and this is the baby. And then Jothi walks in. He was who was speaking, asking what was going on. And Chiana was there with Stark, trying to feed Stark, because he was catatonic, and then he suddenly wakes up, and now he's he's fine. So Stark has processed some things in the last, I don't know how many days it's been, <laughs> but... <laughs> I just I just love that little bit. I am so in love with him being like, I don't remember him being like this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And Chiana being like the one to feed Stark and like coddle Rigel and, you know. Yeah. I like taking care of everyone. Yeah, taking care of everyone. This is, I, just, I don't know. I'm just dying. It's so funny. <laughs> so John has to convince one more person about his wormhole plan. Aaron isn't convinced necessarily, but she is kind of at the point where she's like, well, this, I guess this is what my future husband is going to do. So John goes to pilot to convince him. And I want to play that because you have to remember that a, less than an hour ago in the miniseries, pilot was the one vouching for the Moya crew and vouching that they were good people. So just mm -hmm. contrast that with his reaction to what John wants here. I can't do this without your help pilot. Yours and Moya's. This will be used as a weapon against others. Worst case scenario, yeah. If I understand correctly, it has the power to kill tens of thousands. For starters. Are you capable of using this? Yes. Then I don't know you as I thought. So you'll be starting with me then. Someone puts a gun at your head, pilot. What do you do? What do you do? You defend yourself. And that is why we have to build this. No one has a weapon pointed to your head. Oh, God, pilot. Everybody's got a weapon pointed at my head. There are other options. Well, why don't you explain that to the tens of millions of people who will die in the meantime? Is that truly your concern? Or is it Aaron and your unbirthed offspring you wish to protect? That's my family, Pilot. Everything begins with family. So what you hear there is Pilot is saying essentially no. We don't need this. Like, John isn't sure if he needs Pilot or Moya's permission, like, who he needs permission to do this from. And Pilot is essentially like, no, Moya and I are peaceful creatures. We are not going to help you build this, this weapon that could potentially kill every life in this galaxy. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting just for me because Pilot really loves the crew. And we have seen his devotion to John. I mean, he got disconnected from Moya in bad timing in order to save John, you know, John's planet and John's people for John. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, and so this is just really hard to hear that essentially pilot is not just rejecting 
this idea, but he's rejecting who John will become in order to protect his family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I also think it's, it's interesting, you know, this disconnect between who John's family is. And he says, you know, Aaron and your unborn offspring. And at the same time, though, we've had the conversation that this crew is family and that crew mm-hmm. includes Pilot and Moya. I mean, that family ties is the title of the episode in season one at the end, the season one finale that that really gets into that. And it's like they've been together through so much. But even this for Pilot and Moya is such a drastic step. Mm-hmm. one step too far because they've always been afraid of wormholes too you know you know ever since they got dragged down one they've been like interrogated by einstein they've had like all these terrible things happen in and around wormholes with them and this is just one more thing that john is asking and this time it's got weapon on it and i think even pilot and moya don't really understand the scale because he says like tens of thousands of, of beings mm-hmm. but you know, the potential for the weapon, as we see later on, is that so many more people would die if it went unchecked. Mm-hmm. But even so, like, you kind of can't fault them for worrying about being a part of that kind of violence. I mean, John has has had reservations about being part of that kind of violence from the beginning. And even when he dropped the bomb uh, in Worso Screwed La Bomba, I mean, they have done so much damage. Like, they're fully aware of their own capacity for damage and dealing death. That's kind of been one of the themes throughout the Peacekeeper Wars. And that's come up over and over again. And here he is asking the most peaceful creatures that they have to protect most of the time Mm -hmm. to participate in that. Yeah, when you put it like that, this is kind of a dark request. Because as we remember back in season one, where they're kind of like, why are we on this ship? It's only, it has no offensive capabilities. Its only way to defend itself is to run away, you know? Mm -hmm. So they're essentially asking like the rabbits (laughs) or like (laughs) the gazelles, you know, of the uncharted territories. Like, I need you to build me an AK-47. You know, yeah. I need you to build me a rocket launcher or something, you know, of that scale. And it's kind of like, I don't, I don't know. It's just when you put it like that, it's kind of a dark request because you yeah. know, you're co-opting these creatures who are so peaceful that the Eidolons went to them and are like, "Are hey, tell us about your crew. And they're like, no, they're good people. They're good people. And then it's like you're co-opting them into this mass murder. Mm hmm. Right. And it's because it's not just John or the crew making the decision to drop the bomb and we're so screwed on their own on the planet. The bomb that John built, you know, pilot mm-hmm. did not build it. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty big. You know, at the same time, you know, they've been they've been together. They've part of me thinks that pilot might have been more receptive to it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's one of those things that's such a big ask that he's being asked to help with because mm-hmm he has to actually build the apparatus to harness and create the weapon that they can actually use mm-hmm. that. Yeah. It's, it's just big. Yeah. Yeah. So they get to the water planet and immediately they're fired upon by essentially everybody like peacekeepers <laughs> and Scarens alike, but the Scarens are the ones specifically that are chasing them. Moya freaks out. <laughs> Oh, she freaks out. Poor girl. I know. And so she immediately dive bombs into the ocean and everybody is, everybody is like, what's going on? Like how, how deep is she going to go? Because as Sokozu points out, ships that are built to be in space don't have the same pressure capacities as ships that are built 
to be underwater. And so... Yeah, they kind of are actually opposite. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you're in space, you want to have heat pressure pushing outward. And if you're under the ocean, you're having so much more pressure pushing you on from the outside that, that mm -hmm. you're now trying to push against. Yeah. And as we are quickly reminded, they still have harpoon holes <laughs> in them. They've been patched, <laughs> but they're leaky. And pretty much just as soon as they are underneath the water, they start getting flooded. Mm -hmm. And to make matters worse, Stark has disappeared. And Stark, as Rigel was the most important player that everyone was protecting in the early half of the, of the Peacekeeper Wars, Stark, as the one with the information of, for all the Eidolons, is now the most important person. And he is missing and everyone's like oh frel we've got to go search for stark <laughs> <laughs> so everybody is searching tier by tier aaron immediately goes to the armory sakozu goes to build a watertight transport pod and mm -hmm. so they can get to the surface where they will be going into battle which is why aaron has gone to uh get everything ready mm-hmm and she ends up having a conversation with Pilot where she herself hasn't necessarily come around to John way John's way of thinking, but she understands why he thinks that way. And so she and Pilot kind of have this conversation where she explains her understanding of John's thinking. So while they're all searching, Dargo and Chianet really share this moment because as we remember last time, um, Rigel had brought up the idea of the both of them being able to come to Hyneria when he was Dominar again. Hey, Darga. You know how I, uh, I change my mind about things sometimes? And I get, I get so excited. And, uh, I say I'm going to do it, and I really... Frilling mean it. And, th and then I, I change my mind completely. Yes. Hyneria. I'm going to do it. With you. Uh, you know why? Because you like Hynerians. Not so much. But I like you. I just love the two of them back together. It makes me happy. And it's going to make me sad. But it makes me happy. Oh. Yeah. I, I just like Chiana being like, you know how I change my mind all the time? And he's like, yep, <laughs> that's you. <laughs> and then she's like, well, I've changed my mind. But this time, you know, it's because I want to be with you on Hyneria. And, mm -hmm. you know, he, Jargo, as we heard in the, when they were uh, hanging around in Lola, you know, he was saying, like, get a farm, build, you know, grow some grapes, make some wine, have a good life. And Chiana was like, looking at him like he was crazy and now here she is being like hey i could i could get on board with that mm -hmm. yeah it's really sweet and i just love the development of their relationship because it feels like they're both more mature here like he mm -hmm. is not expecting her to not be herself you know he is also offering her something more than just a farm you know because hyneria mm -hmm. is you know rigel's dom you know home planet it's not just a farm out in the middle of nowhere you know so it is kind of this like compromise between the two of them i think mm -hmm. yeah i like what you say about having like the more mature relationship because what really tore them apart at the end of season two wasn't just the cheating and everything like that but the underlying problem between the two of them was really jargo thinking chiana was someone she wasn't mm -hmm. and here you know, he knows who she is and he accepts her for who she is mm -hmm. in a way that he wasn't able to before. Mm -hmm. 
And vice versa. Yeah, and vice versa. So they find Stark. <laughs> mm-hmm. And Stark is doing a lot better, though he's just kind of sitting there hanging out. Yeah, in this as this room is flooding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love how Dargo kind of comes up to him like you would like a startled horse or something. He's like, yeah. okay, Stark, we need to leave now. The room is flooding. We need to yeah. leave now for real. <laughs> and then there's a breach and Stark and Dargo, Dargo's the only one at this point um, who's found Stark, get knocked over by a wall of water that's flooded into one of the... <laughs> the maintenance bay is on the bow and so Chiana and John rush in and try and find them and and Chiana goes to Dargo and once he wakes up he's like you will never believe what I saw right before I was dying and she's like what lights you know the afterworld and he's like a giant wall of water (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like oh Dargo you're the best (laughs) so funny I know I did an episode pretty short on comedy I'm like this is that one actually was pretty a good one yeah and then uh and John finds Stark and Stark is floating and his his doing the glowy thing but it's a purple glowy thing instead of mm-hmm. a gold glowy thing which is a side effect of him having the information from the idolons mm-hmm. and when he comes to he's actually quite um he's calmed down like it feels like he's integrated that flood of information that he had to take from Yolanda Mm-hmm. And he is now ready, and he says he's ready to teach the Eidolons how to make peace. So I feel like Stark has, has you know, he's had the very interior journey to, over the course of this 45 minutes, but he's gotten to a place where he can function again. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Grey's carrier arrives, and no one can see them yet. And so they have the element of surprise. They don't know where Stalik is. So she just orders them. She's like, fire on everything. We only have the element of surprise once. And so I don't know. I, don't know. I like her as a military commander because I know that we've kind of trash talked her a lot. <laughs> but I like this idea that, yeah, she is who she is. And she is kind of skeevy as all get out. But mm-hmm. at the same time, she is also a peacekeeper. So she does know how to command yeah. a ship <laughs> yeah yeah for sure so yeah they're they're on a blind approach vector that no one can see them yet and so they're going to go in for the attack and i think so she's coming and i don't know how many other warships she has in her battle group but i think that's several um and they're coming basically to the rescue of the single command carrier that was above the water planet that's being attacked by like four or five dreadnoughts plus mm-hmm. the leak's decimator so we're getting into the scale of like there's like i don't know 10 15 ships in play it's kind of hard to count the numbers because it kind of goes by really quick from different angles on mm-hmm. the screen um, but there's a space battle basically happening above the planet while everything is going down on the planet. And that includes our crew who um, gets into the modified pod and is going to go up to find the Eidolons and try and make peace with the Eidolons. Mm -hmm. So now they are on the city and it's interesting because we finally see the city of the Eidolons and it's um, surprising to me because I think before mm-hmm. we'd really only seen like one small area. So I just kind of assumed it was like a ragtag <laughs> group of people living, you know, yeah. in like a single place, but it's, it's like a big city and it really shocks Rigel specifically who, mm-hmm. um, who says something along the lines of, I, I really hate the idea of my, um, of my king, his kingdom essentially looking like this, being completely yeah. destroyed. And so they meet up with the Luxons, and I'm just going to play a quick, uh, not quick, but I'm just going to play the reunion that kind of sets the stage for the next part of the, the miniseries. You all right? 
beyond me why women would choose to do this more than once. They say three is the magic number. Three is a scary number. Go! Come on, go! Come on, go! Stark, come with me. Stark! We're too late. We don't know that yet. Come on. Where are the Eidolons? The Skaran term is nullified. Sergeant Leoko, this is Cleaver Jothi. Sergeant. Are you there? More like here, sir. What's the situation? Scarans control the whole of the city. Isolated pockets of peacekeepers, but they're being steadily neutralized. What about the Eidolons? Slaughtered, even in surrender. The rest of our men are on the other side of the city searching for survivors. We have to get Stark to them. Captain Bracker, are you still alive? Very much so, sir. Good to hear your voice. Your location? The Great Temple. We're holding out with a band of Eidolons. My request for reinforcements have been unheeded. There's some on the way right now. Stay tight. Yes, sir. Let's move. You're on point. Sergeant Leeko, you go with them. Stark is now our number one priority. Stark? How's that for an inversion of normalcy? Jothi. Don't get shut up too much. I was thinking the same thing about you, old man. So there's lots of little bits in play in that quote, which is why I picked it. You have that little bit at the end where you have Jargo and Jothi kind of having this moment of, you know, don't die because we like each other, we care about each other, and, you know, we're father and son, but doing it in that very soldierly way. You have Aaron and John at the beginning being like, I don't know why women want to have kids. This sucks. <laughs> and John being like, let's have three. And, uh, you know, the three is a scary number. You know, that's, I really like that little, mm -hmm. little quote because that comes back later at the end of, at the end of the miniseries. And then we have the rundown of Scorpius, you know, making contact with Braca, who's at the temple. He's got Eidolons. You have Scarens coming in. You have the Luxon uh, commandos who are now reunited with them. They, they came ahead in their ship. And so you have all this stuff setting in motion for the battle in the urban area in the, in the city that's going to, to play out over the last, last bit of what we're calling you know part one of of the last half of the episode mm -hmm. yeah there's lots of little bits in there as a reminder brock and scorpy you know i love all of their interactions <laughs> and and aaron and john are really good here too you know because she's suddenly pregnant you know and it like suddenly much much preg more pregnant than she was like mm -hmm. less than 24 hours ago and also <laughs> I love that they all are. It's like protect Stark until we get to the Eidolons. <laughs> and the fact that Bracca has some Eidolons, they're like, oh, thank goodness, Bracca has Eidolons. <laughs> <laughs> we just need to find some of them. Yeah. Well, your comment about Aaron reminded me there's a bit, a little bit earlier when she's going to go while well, they're still on Moya and, and, John tells her to be careful when she goes towards the armory. She's like, I'm pregnant, not incapacitated. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love Aaron pregnant. Yes. So meanwhile, just to catch us up on what's going on with the Scarens, Stalik has this interesting moment where he walks into command and Akna is sitting on his chair where it's like the big throne chair, essentially. And he's like, oh, you look good there. And he <laughs> essentially tells her like, hey, so we think Crichton died when Moya dove into the water. We think Crichton and Moya are dead. But he's like, when this is all over, I'm going to create a new position for myself. And that position is going to be overseeing 
Like all of everything. Yeah, everything. (laughs) Overseeing the management of our suddenly expanded territories, you know, and he's like, so somebody is going to need to be emperor. (laughs) And he, you know, kind of says, if you bring me Crichton's head, you can be empress, you know. Mm -hmm. And I do appreciate that Akna at some point after she's told that that that, Scri- that Crichton and Moya have probably perished in the ocean, she's just she's like, I'll believe that when I see his head, which is great to fit in with Star- uh, Farscape's rule of no one's dead <laughs> until their head is on a stick and Rigel is the mafia lord of everybody. <laughs> that is 100% true. It's just interesting to me because like we've had this whole interesting relationship between Stalik and Akna pretty much since since the end of season four, where you know there was this tension of her really wanting the throne you know mm-hmm. she deeply wants it and she's willing to backstab in order to get it and she's willing to undermine in order to get it and Stalik has always kind of had to on the one hand clearly he hasn't killed her probably for some political reason that we haven't seen like she probably has enough allies that yeah that would be bad politics but at the same time he's always trying to balance her ambition with what he wants and I, I just find mm-hmm. him to be a really interesting character you know yeah for sure for sure and here he's using that to his advantage because he wants to make sure that that either John is dead or what's happened to him and so he's like alright here's the, the, the carrot of I'll make you empress and you go out and make sure that he's dead and squash all the eidolons and peacekeepers while you're at it mm-hmm. so Akna takes Scarens and of course Charids who are also uh, part of the Scaran army into the city. They've already actually been in the city. They've been attacking Braca. Our group, you know, dodges a patrol. They find Grunschlick, who is still alive and playing dead. And they think Grunschlick's the spy, right? Mm-hmm. The one who's been reporting to Akna all throughout this episode and the ones before, um, telling them the movements of where they are. Mm-hmm. So, so they take him prisoner, basically. They decide not to kill him, but they take him with them. And they meet up with Braca at the temple and, and brock is kind of like where are my reinforcements you brought me moya's crew yeah <laughs> he's like not too impressed but Which you know they got locks i mean come on <laughs> just wasn't what poor brocco was expecting and i've got to say um his soul is he's still having that little soul patch going on he still on has this. a soul patch it looks oh awful. my goodness. i hate it it does but he's like his jacket is on you know it's unzipped and unbuttoned and he's kind of got that i've been out in fighting for days kind of kind of look going on i don't know he just seems really happy to see scorpius again yeah i know <laughs> and yeah he does because he's always been so buttoned up you know what i mean mm-hmm. we've really never seen him in this role i mean like i was i was surprised at the beginning of the miniseries when he was like piloting a fighter squadron i was like yeah okay sure should she be licking boots somewhere yeah <laughs> but so it's good to see him kind of being out in the field and grungy meanwhile aaron's water breaks and mm-hmm. The Scarens are coming in, and then so the Diagnosion comes, and he's, like, looking at Aaron's belly, and he's like, oh, the baby is both breech and tangled in its cord. And so <laughs> it's kind of, like, bad news all around. Um, and the, the Scarens are getting closer, and we have Akna outside saying, like, I want the female Sebation alive, which just adds to the whole pressure of, like, what's going to happen to Aaron and the baby. Yeah. And then meanwhile, Stark also gives Yondalao's knowledge to the the leader of the Eidolons, who's still alive. Yay for her. Mm-hmm. She's one of the four or I guess six that are with the um, 
with the peacekeepers. Mm-hmm. Four of them are non-combatants and two of them are fighters. Yeah. And Brock is so funny when he says it. He's like, we have six Zylons with us. Two are trained and four refuse to pick up a weapon. <laughs> It's like, gosh darn it. <laughs> Useless people. Yeah. Oh, and Nora Antique calls at this point, too. Yeah. Um, so this is like the first time we've seen her since they left. And uh, she calls in and she tells John, I've got 100 Eidolons. I think this, like the rest of them that are alive, all the survivors, were in the streets. Um, I ran into Jothi because Jothi um, stood behind to cover the retreat. So she met up with Jothi, who <laughs> gave her a weapon. And John asked Stargo, is like, wait, she doesn't have a gun, right? And of course, she says yes. And they're like, oh, no. What's she going to do with that? <laughs> but then she reassures them by saying, them, it's like, there's no, there's no ammunition for it. So it's just an empty gun. <laughs> and she's been deputized john deputized her which is amazing (laughs) and also i don't know i love this idea of naranti being super resourceful this does seem like the situation she would thrive in you know she always thrives in chaos and this is you know danger and chaos and everything and to be honest she has more eidolons than they do so she's doing pretty well (laughs) <laughs> and that's why why it's important too, because so they want to have Stark's knowledge from Yandalao imparted to the Eidolons, but there's four of them. And in order for them to make a big enough energy field to affect the peacekeepers and the Scarens out there, four is too few. And that's why they're like, oh, thank goodness, there's Eidolons, a hundred of them out there. That could be enough numbers to actually have the Eidolon plan work. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they are separated from them. And Stark and MoMA, who have who now has accepted the knowledge and actually knows what to do with it they're in the temple and then Noranti and all the other ones are not in the temple far mm-hmm. away and that be- remains a problem going forward it's like how are they going to get them together mm-hmm. so that's kind of where we're going to end this part of the mini series with the two the two groups of Eidolons far apart and our poor crew about to be attacked by the Scarens. You know, they're mm-hmm. in this kind of in they're in this defensible temple, but at the same time, Akna has reassurances from her people that they're surrounding the temple and also they have engineers coming in to essentially demolish it. So Yeah. Yeah. And on top of that, Aaron's water is broken. Her baby's in breach, and where we decided to end our watching of it is at the worst cliffhangery moment of cliffhangery moments <laughs> is when, when the assault starts and the diagnosis gets shot in the head. So now they're out of diagnosis and they've got a baby coming and they've got the scarings and the chariots coming. Yeah, it's fun, so. guys. Fun stuff, guys. <laughs> so join us next week to find out how this ends. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So we already discussed some wardrobe things. I think everyone else besides Braca is basically as they have been. Mm-hmm. Um, so our wardrobe watch is not too exciting. And uh, next week we have the conclusion. Yeah, epic conclusion, guys. Definitely tune in for this one. I think it's my some of my favorite moments in Farscape. For sure. For sure. All right. We will see you next week. We are Farscape Friday podcast at Gmail, Tumblr, and DreamWith.com. We are Farscape Friday on Twitter. So hit us up there. Let us know what you think of Peacekeeper Wars. And we will be doing a season wrap episode or... And we will be doing a series wrap episode after we finish the Peacekeeper Wars. So start sending us your ideas and thoughts and anything you want to talk about from any part of Farscape, beginning, middle, end, all of it's fair game. Yeah. See you next time. Bye.